for men and the women who loved them, for dads raising daughters and the men they want them to attract, for the moms raising sons that need help making them into quality men. Welcome to our table. We're back with another episode of Stripped Raw. Today it's just Dave and Cam Cam. The OG squad. OG. This is how we started in the first place. Mm, Pretty first much couple. in the same room and everything. Mm-hmm. Two microphones. Yeah. How long ago was that? Do you remember? It was November and December of... Last year. 22, yeah. Yeah, 22. Man, Feels like it's been that's longer. wild. <laughs> they think of everything that's happened in this last year. A lot of trips, a lot of people, connections, relationships. Understanding ourselves at a deeper level. Oh, yeah. Hmm. It's been a beautiful ride, that's for sure. And I think uh, everything happens for a reason. And I think that's what we wanted to do on, like, the Strip Raw platform. Because now we have the website. We have all these things going for us technology-wise. The You Matter program that we're launching, that we have launched. People, I mean, a lot of people have been donating boxes it's been it's been awesome um and i I think we haven't even scratched the best part of it just yet Uh, i'm feeling a very good vibe with everything that's going in the direction it's going but uh on the the web page i talk about the table a lot there it was a lot of people who were saying like you know from the writing account like keeps on referencing these guys is it several guys that are um that are a part of this thing or is it just one guy writing to break it down to everybody, the table is what essentially brought me back to life, brought uh, Dave to where to where I am now, and I wanted to pay homage to that because I think a lot of people in life they don't they don't think that they have a table that can help them out, but I do think it's around you. It's just you identifying who it is that you want it to be. My take on it is, if you have uh, a, a group like. I used to be in a group of friends of guys, let's say there was 50 of them, and everybody wanted to be like the really cool guy who was getting the skirts, that type of stuff. But as you go along, you see like that's not the kind of guy that may be loyal to what it is you're trying to do in your life. So I took those guys that were loyal, the ride and die, and that's a part of the table. So if you go to the website to uh, www.stripdraw.com and you click on our table that's the team of people that's the table that's the table it's talking to now and in order for us to uh to get more personal what i wanted to do was you know, after a decision that the whole team made was let's talk about our stories and i thought it would be best fitting right now for yam yam hmm. you're the youngest in the group out of all of us uh you beat some guys out by 60 years <coughs> damn <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna make fun of Matt like that, but uh, hey, you know, <laughs> he ain't even here to defend himself. Nope, not even here to defend himself. Um, so you're the youngest in the group. What I want you to do is like give everybody a rundown of your story, and then what I'll do is I'm gonna I'm gonna ask some questions, try to dig in a little bit. But oh, yeah. let's hear your let's hear your story. From I guess from the earliest childhood. Do you remember coming out of your mom's birth canal? I don't. All right, then. But yeah, like <laughs> your childhood just bounce it. If yeah. somebody, if you were to have an interview right now, and you were just to spill it, 
Like, yeah, tell me whatever you think. So I had an amazing childhood, some of my earliest memories. Um, yeah, grew up with both my parents in the in the situation, and they're still still here. They're still together. You know, still a very big part of my life, which I'm very fortunate. But uh, I don't know. I grew up. Um, earliest memories doing soccer and karate and little things like that because my mom wanted me to and my dad finally put his foot down and showed up with a dirt bike and uh, I got started with that that from the earliest age I started at around four years old um, completely shaped my life and you know how I how I go at life how I go at everything uh, you know two older brothers their half brothers are 11 and 12 years older than me so there was a lot of different experiences from that, from them. I was their little voodoo doll. They would just torture me and fuck with me. But at the same time, you know, I had these uh, big guys to to look up to and learn from. Um, my so, dad. Go ahead. So it's like single childhood. Pretty much. Yeah, I was my mom's only child. So I was I was uh, I was kind of raised and treated like a like a only child. But I had the the benefits of. The brothers as well um, when they were there like part-time yeah okay yeah. the biggest thing I got from that from the earliest childhood is that I uh, I got to watch them get in trouble get smacked upside the head get you know sent to the room stuff like that and I learned from a very early age like looking at my dad like all right don't don't fuck with that dude he's a uh, he's a bad dude so I kind of got to watch and watch and learn and that created a completely different relationship with my parents for me just because I learned from, a, from an early age if you know I'm, I'm honest I do the things that they want me to do and everything's transparent I get to do all the things that I want to do so um, I know a lot from my brother's eyes they they saw me as you know early on before talking as adults they saw me as like spoiled and all these other things as they would you know they're early teenagers and I'm a little four-year-old doing whatever I want to do and but uh I think the biggest part of that was they were going through a lot of stuff um, through their parents' separation, and I got to watch, you know, the negative effects, what not to do in a lot of those situations. Yeah, divorce is a big thing, especially when you got people jumping back and forth the houses. Uh, I know my kid, he does it, and I could see, like, it's, man, it's crazy. It's it's a pretty big impact on him, big impact yeah. on me, but what it mm. sounds like to me is, you know, the two, your two older brothers came from your dad's side. Your dad mm -hmm. ended up remarrying your mom and they had you, and like you said, you were your mom's only child. And it seems like they learned from a lot of, I wouldn't say mistakes, but things that happened in their past mm -hmm. in order to be a better precedent for you, for growth. Yeah. It took a long time uh, for them both, to be honest. And even to this day, I mean, we still talk about it. Me and, you know, especially my one brother, the, the middle brother, who uh, we still talk about it now, the effects that that had on, on him, the stuff that he may have not realized. And um, a lot of it has to do with, like, opening up. He struggles with a lot. And I kind of tinkered it down to uh, when his parents separated, um, their mom, ne neither one of them were 100% were like, okay, I have to stay with the kids. The mom was trying to get away and start a new life and do his thing. My dad was, you know, coming out of being a cop and um, starting his own company, starting a new family. And it seems like they were they were a pinball. It was just like, okay, when it 
when they come to me, when can I push them off to the next person so I can t- continue my own life? Right. And whether they knew it or not, I think they felt the effects of that. Um, and, you know, as an adult, I can see the effects that that's taken now where they don't, you know, they don't want to share. They're distant. They're, you know, they have, they're stuck in their ways or you know, it's like a developmental, emotionally, um, emotional developmental issue that came from that, um, that I'm able to kind of witness now. And I think a lot of that, funny enough, created, you know, my parents did an amazing job, especially my mom on the emotional side, but I'm able to have the relationship I do with them and just so tight and like I never told them a lie growing up or anything. And I think a lot of that was from watching the situation with my brothers and kind of the negative effects that came from that. Hmm. Yeah, I think we we talked about it a long time ago. Where I personally think when I don't speak a lot from the the female perspective because I mean I'm not a female and I don't have a lot of female friends. But I what I do think from the male side of things is when a guy gets to a certain age and I think it's right around somewhere thirty five, it's like they get comfortable and the way that their life was and who they are now, it's like, all right, I'm comfortable and this is just who I am. You can't teach a dog, an old dog, new tricks. Mm-hmm. And they just get comfortable. And it's like, yeah, I, like some of your brothers, they may get emotionally shut out now. It's like, I'm not going to talk about these things because, I mean, I'm existing. I have breath. I have shelter. I have food. I have water. I have, you know, I like to go hunting in the in the wintertime or I like watching Capitals hockey. Mm. That was my thing. You know, I was getting comfortable as this is personal on my side. I was getting comfortable and it's like. And I could just sit on this couch and just watch my sports, you know, I could be entertained and I'm like life, I'm content with life. Yeah. No more drive, almost. There's no more drive. There's no more. And that's the the biggest thing, like growth. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I didn't know it, but I was done growing. And essentially, we're never done growing, especially when you have a kid, mm-hmm. especially when you're in a relationship. Uh, growth is never done. But anyways, back to you. So you had mm-hmm. this childhood coming up. Mm-hmm. That was the side with your brothers and learning how to go with your mom and dad. Tell me about mm-hmm. the uh, the extracurriculars. Your dad showed up with that dirt bike. Oh, yeah. So that, that basically designed my early life um, was racing. So looking back, another thing that uh, my parents always made me aware of the sacrifices they made, but it never really clicked like they always say it does. It never really clicked until I was you know around 18, 19 years old. But... Um, I every every single weekend it was you know I watched my dad sacrifice work all week on his own company he would uh he would get home late on Friday um pack up all the bikes the camper make sure everything's good taken care of and then we'd roll out he'd drive through the night Friday night and then he was basically at work again you know taking care of bikes taking care of me doing everything he had to do Saturday Sunday drive through the night Sunday night back to work Monday morning and uh, later on, understanding that sacrifice monetarily through time, through effort, they didn't go out and do anything with their friends. You know, they all their time was spent with me racing. Um, realizing that as an adult changed my perspective of them a lot. But even as a kid growing up, it was like uh, it felt like everything was kind of around me. And I understood it at the time. I just didn't know why, like. I don't want to put it this way, but it was like everything revolved around me. Um, but pushing forward, uh, 
with with racing and stuff that turned into I, I was still in public school up until the ninth grade so my early teens um was fairly normal you know very very normal just out hanging out with friends ride bikes I'd ride dirt bikes on the weekends dad picked me up early from school we'd go ride I had the little you know uh, the cooler activities than other kids because I got to go ride a dirt bike and do crazy dangerous things and all this stuff but uh yeah I would say my my very early teens were pretty normal and at 15 I uh I convinced my parents to put me in homeschool sent me off to a couple training facilities and I started traveling across the country on my own at 15 I moved to Cali um my dad rented me out a room. I had a mechanic uh, who was able to be my parental advisor to uh, get me on the tracks and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, then I started moving all over the place, couch surfing, sleeping in my van, um, making a career out of dirt bikes. And um, that uh, it makes you grow up quick, you know, as a 15-year-old, like realizing – not from a uh, money standpoint, because I was making my own money here and there, but mainly I was just funded by sponsors and, and my parents. But, um, you know, the little things like cooking for yourself, make sure you have food. Oh, I have to go shopping. I didn't know how to cook anything. I I learned how to put balsamic vinaigrette on cut up chicken, put it in a pan, and I would just eat that every single night. And uh, developing as, you know, little things, doing laundry, getting places, time management, understanding responsibilities, and I was just kind of thrown into it. I was never taught it. But I think that's, I wouldn't have traded that for anything. I think it was the best way. So how long did you do the, uh, so you were traveling all around the country. You were moving to these different places for uh, for racing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So to me, the question that I have is, is it like, uh, is it like surfing where you're just, you're traveling these different places on mom and dad's money just to go like catch a good wave or what was the goal? The goal is to get better. The reason for the traveling is why you're asking the goal is to get better. So um, California had the best trainer on a dirt bike at the time, the best nutritionist, physical trainer. So I moved out there um, late. I was about to just nod my head because funded by mom and dad. So the same thing. But uh, but there was a goal for it. Yeah, it was no, it was to yeah, no, it was to progress. No, it absolutely wasn't for fun. It was a lot of fun, you know. Moving out to Cali at 15 years old is badass, but um, it was at all. Any place I went was for a specific reason. So Cali was for a specific trainer. South Carolina was for a training facility. I lived for a couple years. Florida was for specific tracks and a nutritionist. Um, You know, South Carolina had its own. North Carolina had its own thing. Eastern North Carolina, I lived with a suspension guy to tune and get my suspension. Like Everything had a reason as a progression at the ultimate goal so that I would uh, go pro and make a, a career out of it. Okay. So it was to go pro. That was the goal. There was always a goal, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was never – and I always understood that was as soon as I started traveling, I was made very aware, like, uh, especially by my dad, you know, hey, we're making this sacrifice and you're you're doing a job. I need you to complete your job and progress and make this not for nothing. Um, and you'll, uh, you know, in the end, you'll you'll reap what you put into it, essentially. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at what age is it that tip, that people typically go pro? Um, 
17, 18, 19. Okay, so let's talk yeah. about when did you stop racing? Uh, I was 21. Okay. When I stopped. Tell me about 17, 18 through 21. So, let's see. I, I went pro when I was 18. I was living in Georgia at the premier training facility. Ricky Carmichael was – he was and is the greatest of all time, and he opened up his farm to select few people. I ended up getting on that list of people he knew, so I was very lucky um, training and living there. Um, and that was a different level of dedication than I've ever seen. You know, I was anybody who's into fitness or anything like that. I was burning 8,000 calories a day and having to eat 10 to 12. So I'm either training or eating. Um, so when I was there, I ended up, I was still in the amateur ranks living there. I ended up getting a really bad injury. And it put me out for about a year and a half total. And when I came back, I was 19, 19 and a half, said, well, shit, now or never, I'm behind the ball. I got to buckle down and really, like, make or break at this point. So I threw myself into the pro ranks. I did the qualifications to get my pro card. And uh, so at 19, I was racing um, pro races. And that's where it really, really turned into, like, this is this is a job. This isn't, you know, it's kind of where it switched from um, having fun on a dirt bike and everything was good times. And even though I was like training and working, I realized how fun it was. That's where the switch happened, where it was like, oh, I got to go do a moto today. I got to go ride my dirt bike today. And I didn't even want to look at it, to be honest, at that point. Wow. But I still loved it. It's what I was. I mean, it's in my blood. To me at the time, it was like what I was born to do. There's nothing, nothing else that. I was capable of doing. Um, you know, I got out of school early. I, I graduated, got my diploma, and but I did it early at 15, or no, at tw in 2015. I graduated a year and a half early, so at 16 or 17, something, whatever, mm. um, just to pretty much get it out of the way so I could focus on racing. So, uh, yeah, it was make or break at that point, and um, put my head down I had plenty of plenty of trainers you know Carmichael his mom who trained him everybody else saying you we haven't seen work put in like this before and then the heartbreaker moment towards the end of that career was when it all it wasn't all going as well as I'd like it to it went really well I did great um very proud of it but um Carmichael's mom called me and she said you're just too calculated and too smart to be proficient at this. You have to have some level of something missing in order to put yourself on the line. And she told me I was too calculated to really hang, you know, life and limb out there to to do it. Wow. Which sucks. Cause it was like a backhand thing. It was like right. you're you're complimenting me, but you're telling me I'm not capable of doing the thing that I think I'm born to do. Right. How old were you when that happened? 20. Okay. So yeah. she delivers the heartbreaking news. Yeah. It obviously crushes you. Yeah. And I, I'd, I'd had other people, you know, tell me, you know, if you're not pro by 16, like, oh, nobody makes it. You know, people talk. People say nonsense and you blow it off. And I tried doing the same thing with that. She has a lot of merit, so it was hard to. Yeah. Um, but the the biggest like hit was I couldn't overcome that one. It was like, it wasn't that it was in the back of my head. 
um, it was more or less like every time something else happened or I put in more work than this guy or, you know, I stayed in the gym two hours longer than this guy or I showed up when he didn't and he still beat me. Right. It's like I put in, and this is something I've always been very confident in saying, I put in every single ounce of everything I could into that and I just couldn't make it the way I wanted to. Right. So what happens next? I uh, I did my last pro race in August of 2018. Funny how things work out. I We talk a lot about spiritual stuff and all this, and I had my, like, connection a couple years prior to that. And I was kind of asking, you know, up, up to the sky, what do I do? I don't know what to do here. Am I going to – do I keep pursuing this? I, I'm running out of time. I'm 21. I have to make a life for myself. Um to me, it's all connected. It really sucks. Uh, I had that through that entire time when I was 16. I got a dog, you know, the the dog, um, and he went through all of that with me. Everything we just talked about, it was me and him to Georgia, to North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, everywhere. Just me and him in a car, 12 hours at a time. And uh, so, he had passed away while I was at my last race. Crushed me. It was the hardest hit I've ever had emotionally and I didn't know how to do anything with that I had never even thought about emotions or I didn't know what emotional maturity anything was and uh it was the first real like knife and it took me out for like two months so I I got home from that last pro race threw the bike in the garage still dirty and pretty much just like grieved you know my best friend and then uh after that it was it was something that I couldn't even go in and I don't know, it was, wasn't even connected to me at the time, but I basically recovered from that, came out of my room and I looked at my, my dirt bike in the garage and was like, I don't want it. I, I have zero interest. I don't want, it was still dirty. It was dirty for four months. I don't want to clean it. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to ride it. I don't want to go put my gear on. You know, I, I had zero interest in progressing or training for the next season or anything. And to me, that was my like, that was my sign. Something in my head just clicked off and everything that I'd always known, it was like everything revolved around dirt bikes, being pro, um, making a career out of this. And all of a sudden it was turned off. I didn't know how or why, but I just took that as my sign and, and started pursuing. And I'd always, uh, keep in like the military in the back of my mind, a family military. I always thought it would be cool or whatever. And then Funny enough, I had a uh, a buddy who's working where we're working now, and uh, as simple as this, it was, dang, he's doing pretty good for himself. Guess I'm going to go try it out. And I looked into it and uh, enlisted, and then um, started started on that road. But mm. I want to, like, if you think about the dirt bike and the dog, there's <coughs> obviously a lot of emotional, like, that last race. I mean, uh, that's pretty deep. I I remember the phone call. I said, it still like fucks me up a little bit. I don't know why, because it's so much you know, life, so much better, so far in the past. But uh, the call, I called a couple people, and the first person was my dad. I just I like I couldn't tell him straight up. I don't know why. Um, fuck, I don't <laughs> know why it hits me, man. Oh yeah, well it's because there's probably still things in there that are unpacked. Yeah. 
you know, how long did it take you until you washed the dirt bike? How long did it take you to get the tattoo, mm-hmm. right, in, in memoriam? Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's like a, it's one of those trauma things. And I think that you have been operating since at an early age to where if there's something in front of you to like to work through it and yeah. you never really got the pleasure of just taking like something traumatic and sticking it inside the closet and burying it because yeah. you felt it and you wanted to deal with it and but I mean you didn't have and I mean you're young especially at the time you're young and you're traveling by yourself and you don't have anybody there to help guide you like all the stuff that we've been through in the last couple of years it's all like it takes a village, even at my age. Today's my birthday. Today I turn old, even older. But even at this age right now, it's, it takes a village, even at my age. And you didn't have a village then. Yeah. So you didn't know how to unpack it, rightfully yeah. so. Well, I didn't have much of a... At that point, you know, especially telling my, my dad something, who's very closed off, reserved, old school. It's one of those things. Yep. It was always hard to do. Um but yeah, I, I called him, and I said, uh, "I was like, hey, I've been been thinking about this, and I'm gonna hang up the boots." And it was so it was such such a hard thing for me to uh, to do it or to make the decision in my head. And then I thought that was hard, and then it was like, I don't know, twenty times harder to say. It. I couldn't say it. I still can't say it. I don't know why. <laughs> it was like six years ago. Yeah. And uh, I I don't know. I I told him, and I think a lot of it, too, was, like, afraid that I was going to disappoint him, even though I knew that where I wanted to go was going to, you know, make him proud still. But I know that he lived a lot of that and put all that work in through me. Right. Another part of it was all of this work and money and stuff like that, this is the moment where i'm giving it up yeah so what was it for yeah well you're here now and i can see when he looks at you now he's pretty proud of you yeah but it's uh i think on your end what's worse for somebody to say like i'm mad at you or if somebody was to say i'm disappointed in you oh disappointed disappointed for sure and you could have thought you know maybe even subconsciously and he's never said that to you and here you are at 20 one years old where he's going to say like I'm disappointed in you yeah do you think he would have said that to you though no no and he didn't that's the crazy thing it's like we put that own fear on ourselves that somebody's going to judge us when it's especially like your dad old school and you know I know your dad he goes hard in the paint but he'll never I don't I don't think it's in his heart that hey I'm disappointed in you yeah no I'm Especially after everything that you've done, you gave 100%. Yeah. Well, the the part of that that hit me uh, was he told me, he was like, man, I'll, I'll give you another year. So, like, just, just for fun, I'll give you another year. Just go do it. And I think he wasn't ready for it to end either. Yeah. And that hit even harder. But, uh, yeah, that, that part sucked. <laughs> Well, especially, I, th- I think from your from your dad's side of it, because he's been through a lot. I know some of your dad's stories a little bit, but your dad has been through a lot of stuff. Especially if you oh, go yeah. through a divorce, you lose your, you know, you don't get to see your kids grow up. Your two boys, he's been through a lot, mm-hmm. and 
knowing that Cam is calling me saying, hey, I'm giving up right now. It's like, give yourself a year because you may need a year, a year to heal the mental side of yourself. Because really, that's the part of giving up. But once you give up on the mental side, it's like things are toast. Physically, yeah. you could be present. So it's like you need to heal because you just lost your dog, which is your running buddy. You're riding die. Yeah. And the dog is now passed. Just give yourself some time. Yeah. Well, more or less, he, more or less he was telling me he'd give me the year basically as a monetary thing. Because that was part of my reason. It was like, I don't want you to keep dumping your time, energy, and money into this. Um, I'm, I'm smoked. I'm just, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And uh, he, that's what he was telling me another year for like, he's like, I'll fund another year of you racing. Yeah. And I was looking at myself like, like where, where does this go? You know, I waste another year or, you know, nothing really comes from this. So I, I pretty much told him no. And then I started on uh, that day. I uh, talked to my buddy about coming here. I talked to a bunch of the guys here and our boss. And uh, that's where I kind of made that decision. I started studying for the ASVAB and enlistment and all this stuff. Um but yeah, that decision time was, it sounds it, even dumb for me to say, and I always dismiss it because I think it's, it's dumb, but you know, to some people it may not be, but it was like one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and the one that like hurt the most, but I still knew I was making the right one. Yeah. So even not understanding what I was going through or what I was choosing then, it was, um, yeah, I look back on that. Obviously, it still fucks me up mm? thinking about it. And well, the cool thing is, you're thinking about it, but now you're talking about it. Yeah, because I remember, like, over the last couple of years, you know, I've been with you out at your beach house with the kid, and I could just see where you're in this lull because mm -hmm. something's haunting your head. And I think I showed you some of the writers, like some pieces or whatever, about being a boat lost out in the ocean, that type of stuff. Because it was weird. It's almost like if you were put back into these environments where you would kind of get triggered in a way. You would get more quiet and dormant. Mm -hmm. So it's like the goal for me is being like, you know, coworker, buddy. <sighs> no, man, table, ride and die. Like, get this, get this crap out of your head. Yeah. And now you're able to get the crap out of your head. Yeah. That's where I started. I've talked about it enough on here and I know I've talked about it enough with you was you especially from the very start but then these other guys that I've been lucky enough to to bring in like Cobra like recently Matt and yeah. um, you know even when Travis was around talking with Travis like we did a lot and uh, that progressed me so much in so many different ways and I not even for the obvious like career path that I'm on now that's I wouldn't trade for the world and I think has been, you know, my golden arrow. All of that, you know, aside, not even talking about the professional side of it is I believe me coming here was the best thing that ever happened in my life, like emotionally, as you know, relationally, everything. Um, being able to, to be, because when we went to the beach house, that was my first time back. I'll, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit here in a second, but, um, that was a hard thing for me being there for the first time. I didn't think it was going to be. And then as soon as I walked through the door, I was like, fuck, mm. this sucks. Yeah. And uh, being able to have 
you know, any a, a lot of other guys would have seen that and just been like, hmm, Cam's quiet. It's weird. Whatever. Yeah. You know, but you were able to create a, a space, and I already knew that from you, that we were able to, like, talk about it, and you were able to kind of um, – not not really like I wouldn't say the words help me through it, but give me the tools to understand. It. Mm. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I've learned, I say that a lot. One of the biggest things I learned, I've learned so many big things, but especially for the male, um, a lot of the, the programs, like when I was going through my hell, a lot of the programs I saw were people pointing their fingers, like trying to guide me. If I was looking for help, it's like, this is what you need to do because you messed up at this or so on and so forth. And it didn't really resonate with me. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of guys can't open up. I think that's why uh, 72% of suicides are male. Uh, I don't... I believe that if another male was to come to you and like, Hey man, I've been through hell, hell and here are the scars and I'll tell you about it. Not in an ego way. It's just this is my story and what I've been through. And it, it allow you to relate and say, Hey man... Like, this guy is willing to spill his guts about this. I can spill my guts about my thing. Mm. That's why we built, like you're saying, you know, this this environment that we're in now. It's all it's just built on trust, but it's trust in, in another way. Instead of, like, us pointing our finger saying, you need to do this because you screwed up or something. Or this is how you get a, you know, it's you establish an environment of trust so you can, the everybody else around you, they can open up as well. Mm. They're not scared to open up with their insecurities. Just to say, like, yeah, this is how I was feeling at the time because I thought I was going to disappoint Dad. All right, cool, man, let's move. Yeah, and that's why we built the coaching program the way we did. Yep, to allow you just to uh, to talk about it. Yeah, but I remember the uh, the beach house and seeing you and but you like shriveled up. What was that deal? Yeah, so we're going back. I I enlisted to get all that straight. Um, and in January of 2020, COVID hit. Everything shut down. I was working for my dad a little bit at the time, just kind of waiting, testing, doing all these things. And uh, I decided I was going to move out there, get because I'd always wanted to. So it was kind of a selfish thing, like COVID hit, whatever. The condo needed a big renovation. So, okay, I'll move in there. Dad will pay me to renovate the entire condo. So I did that. I lived there. So all through COVID, the first four months where everything was hard shut down, I lived there played video games and renovated a condo and uh, so I met my my girlfriend at the time then and uh, she came up she's in a different state she came up and lived with me through that year so all of 2020 until November I lived in in, uh, over over by the ocean and um, in that condo so that turned into me getting a just a little surf shop job, and all through the summer and into the early winter, I, I just surfed, worked a little minimum wage job, and lived with the, the new girlfriend there. And it was kind of like this, like, just sunshine moment where everything was, you know, I'd come back to her, life was good, um, go to this little work that I really enjoyed, and then go surf. It was just a year of that because I was waiting for dates for the military. Um Looking back after that, that whole thing taught me so much about reliance and uh, somebody being too dependent on you and what happens when you go away and all these other things. But um, there was so many like bad things that were overridden by like the good time we were having. And I didn't think anything of it. Um, you know, 
I was like, oh, she relies on me. No big deal. Like, that's what a man should do is be something to lean on. Like, I'll be your crutch. And what happens when that crutch goes off to the military and it's not there anymore, you know? So that whole year is pretty much a blur of the same thing. That was a, a good time. I ship off in November. I go to basic training. And while I'm there, she goes back home and basically just falls into dust obviously like I said once that crutch goes away and uh so all the letters and stuff were all weird and I was like kind of not there like I should have been all through um basic and all this stuff well long story short two days out of basic training get my phone back I'm happy to talk to her and whatever and then she she dumps me she's like I had this thing um you know, I fell apart when you left and I put myself back together and I'm independent now and I want to be independent. I don't want to be with you. It's like, okay. So I just went through this, like what the, the U.S. government is designed to do. I went through this emotional, mental breakdown down to a single cell and rebuilt back up through basic the whole time being like an emotional wreck. And then it just gets like dropped when I'm standing on the edge of the cliff trying to like, I'm starting to walk. I'm at the top of the cliff. I'm starting to walk back inland. She just fucking chest kicks me back off it. I was like, okay. So it was one of those things that like at the time really, really sucked for about like at the, the, the comeback from it was weird. It was about a week. And I was like, whatever. Like, like every guy does, like, fuck her, whatever, I'm good. And I had my phone in tech school, and then as soon as I got back, it was like life kind of revolved back around, and it was like, dang, that, that sucked, and looking back. And it wasn't that I wanted her back or anything like that. It was more or less, like, this nagging, like, like rot was still there. It was, like, still in the back of my head, always, like, whether it be what did I do how like why do I deserve this why would she do this all these other things um you know reminiscing on the fun we had or whatever and then that started the long road of like progression on getting rid of that um so that's kind of where Dave and these other guys came in that was our that was my first big other than you guys learning about you know my past and who I am and why I am and all these other things. That was the first big thing I offered to you specifically. I remember we were, it's funny, I've like keyed into this, but we were doing a specific part on the back right of the jet. And that's when it first like came up where I like divulged it to you. And uh, that's kind of where all the progression started. And I basically, I opened, opened the doors to you guys and then you just started throwing information through the doorway well i knew that it would have been you you responded to it so i remember the first time that you actually came in here and entered what i call the shop uh the shop is our hangar where we work on airplanes but it, it's the synagogue it's a very special place a lot of special memories a lot of life lived here and at the time i was in the military i think like 15 years maybe and prim primarily a majority of the makeup of the military is male, especially around your age. Mm -hmm. So I got a pretty good gauge on dudes, let's say. Um, I still I still lean on it. I can tell a lot about a person, I think, 
or at least I thought, by based on the car that they drive. <laughs> so it's like, you see this, how old were you, like 20? I must, 22. 22 when I first got here. So you're 22 years old and you show up and you're driving a GT500. <laughs> you know, it's like a $70,000 car. I'm like, all right, already. And I remember I told Fred, Fred's like, like no, I'm not talking to him, mm -hmm. pretty much. <laughs> and he came into the shop, but I could tell like the way you held yourself. So it's like, all right, your nonverbals are pretty responsive. I was like, maybe you just operate strictly out of ego and uh, surrounding your insecurities. So I said, what do you want out of this place? And you said, uh, do you remember what you said? Yeah, I said I wanted to learn how to function in a in a team. Yeah, and I never heard that before, and I was like, what the hell? You want to function in a team, so you came into the military. I was like, why is that? And then you gave me the background of uh, the racing side mm -hmm. of things. You know, you had sponsors, you had Red Bull stickers on your dirt, you had all these mm -hmm. things, right? And it was just like, wow, all right, this is pretty dope. So when you finally did open up a little bit, it's like, yeah, I could throw all this information because I know it's not going to be like 99% of the other males that I've worked with. You know, this is like you're at the table for a reason. Yeah. You're going to respond to it. And obviously you still have like a lot of growing to do. But at what point are we going to stop start growing? It's yeah. Today, tomorrow, like when because eventually everybody has to start. Well, some people, they don't elect to start, mm -hmm. which is fine too. It's just you're not going to be eating eating with me at the table you mm -hmm. know what I mean so yeah I remember that all very vividly and it was funny it was like a switch I was just talking to uh, one of the guys in here about it and we were fixing one of the things that the tank stands uh, doing like pads on them out there or whatever and uh I looked over at at uh, Josh and I was like hey, you remember when I when I did all of these by myself like two years ago and he was like kinda and I was like Looking back, I think that was like the month or two where Dave didn't like me and he was just putting me on bitch work. <laughs> so just kind of sent me out because there was a hard switch of when something mm -hmm. happened that I'm not even sure what. And uh, and we just kind of like like clicked and everything started rolling. Yeah, it's so, so when you first come into the jungle, if you will, it's like, no, you got to you got to sharpen the tools for mm -hmm. X amount of time just so you can understand like where you're at, and I want to see if, if you'll break. There have been guys in the past where it's like they're doing this, it's like nasty work when they first mm -hmm. come in. It's, it's not necessarily to see, well, one of it is to see the work ethic, but the other two is to see, are they going to break? Like, where's your mental aptitude? Because to me, it's, where am I going to invest my energy? Mm -hmm. Do you need more physical side of things, or do you need to be challenged more mentally? Because mm -hmm. I do believe that the best version of ourselves is inside of us. It's just, have we been taught or trained or coached along the way to bring it out? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. that grunt works for a reason. Oh, yeah. That was one of the things that going through the courses I am now to becoming a you know, military leader or whatever is one of the, I see it a little bit in there, but it's not, the, the textbook isn't written for that. The way that you basically like handled me, um, when I came in was unlike anything I've ever had where essentially it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to see where you break or I'm going to, you know, push you this way and push you this way and push you this way and see what sticks and all of that. There's a lot of wasted time. And then like, uh, say like, you know, after the second time, I'm like, Dave's an asshole. Like, I don't, I'm not even going to do anything for him anymore. Um, the way that you, you brought me in, we did the, what the personality test, 
and a, a couple other things. Yeah, Enneagram. Yeah. And there was another one, uh, the Briggs Myers. Yeah. And you took that time instead of just throwing shit at the wall you took that time to really understand me and how I, without me even knowing it I didn't know you were doing it at the time but you were just understanding okay how is he going to retain and learn how can I better him and then once you spent the time doing that you put it to work and it yeah. it paid paid off in, in my benefit luckily well the way I see it is certain people are going to come into our lives that we're going to have to deal with um, but the people that I'm actually going to have the conversation with to eat the food with at the table it's like time is the most precious currency that we have. That's it. Time. Mm. Like time right now. This is, this is our time. T- life's ticking away right now. So it's like how can we get the best out of it? And the best out of it is you understanding yourself better. That way the whole table can understand you better. Because mm-hmm. like I said before, it's going to take a village no matter what. Through life there are going to be times that I'm going to get down and my energy level is going to be 10%. And you're going to pour into that cup. And mm-hmm. there are going to be times you're going to be 10% and I'm going to pour into that cup. There's going to be times just like uh, in the movie The Town when Ben Affleck, he walks in and his buddy's sitting on the floor watching TV. He's like, I need you to come with me right now. We're going to do some things. Mm-hmm. And you can't ask any questions. So we just have to execute. And you're like, yep, let's go. Who's that so, guy? Who's that guy? Yeah. Yep. So moving forward, we uh, we came to the shop and started that relationship and then um what would it was the very end of 2021 is when i met my my current girlfriend um who has been a gigantic change in my life as well she came in right at the like pinnacle of me understanding and changing emotionally and all these other things which was a lot to take on at the time a lot of not understanding on my part i came to you guys with so many questions and, you know, what do you guys think of this and all these? I wasn't making a lot of decisions for myself at the time because I didn't think I knew how to. Um, but that like the time where, you know, I was going through like a bad decision point. You know, if I want to be with her, if I want to go back to this other person, if I want to do all these other things. And then understanding in the midst of all that, that this is a whole other topic that I didn't know how to be comfortable with myself and this was a big clicker for me where it was like this is why I don't watch tv this is why I always have to be texting or snapchatting somebody this is why I can only do this with other people and all these other things is because I'm not comfortable with myself and if I don't the biggest thing you told me because I called you I remember I was sitting in my bed and I called you and with this problem and you completely disregarded the problem and you said uh, put it in a percentage, how well do you know yourself and how comfortable are you in your own presence? And that's the first time I ever thought about it. And I was like, I gave you an honest answer. I was like, I think like 60% to be completely honest with you, which was still high at the time. It wasn't even that. And that's when it clicked and it was like, all right, the classic, I have to understand and get myself to 100% before I can ever give any of myself to anybody else. So that's where that work um, kind of started. So that was a big portion of my life. It was a small amount of time, but a big part of my life where, you know, I took a weekend, which funny enough almost ended the situation, the relationship that I'm in now almost ended that whole thing because I wasn't transparent. But um, I took, I think, four or five days 
and I just turned everything off. It was like, I'm going to, I'm forcing myself into this space and I'm going to become comfortable with myself and whatever is uncomfortable, I'm going to figure out why and handle it. And it was one of those things where I think it was less that I was uncomfortable with myself as I never gave my, I never gave myself the chance to be comfortable with myself. So once I did those four or five days, I came out of it realizing like I didn't even have any problems with that. Um, and I understand a lot more about myself because I just spent the time asking myself, you know, questions, um, the why I felt certain ways and all these other things. I felt like a different person after, after one weekend, which was crazy. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that weekend, I came to you guys and that's when Abby was, uh, had texted you mm-hmm. and that whole mess. Yeah. Um, so that's where a lot of the really big steps in my like emotional state and who I am now came from taking a look at yourself. Yeah. Understanding your insecurities. And I mean, you know it now, none of us will ever be a hundred percent, but it's like when we finally have that talk and it's like, I'm as good as I can be right now. And I'm not scared to look into the mirror and have a conversation with myself. Yeah. That's, that's to me, that was the biggest one. Cause there's going to be times when like, I am going to trip over things and it still happens to this day where it's like my inner child gets wounded. It happens till this day. Mm-hmm. But instead of me just throwing it in the closet, so when I get into this next relationship, when she opens that closet door one day and it all falls, that's not hers to handle. Mm-hmm. That's mine to handle. It's like I need to deal with it because I'm responsible for it. Yep. I'm an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was the biggest thing was the the look in the mirror, like look at yourself in the mirror, good, long, hard look at yourself, whatever. I couldn't even talk to myself. Mm-hmm. Like... I couldn't even have a conversation in my own head, which was the fucked up part. Yeah. Was I wasn't even at the point of looking at myself yet. Um, so luckily I, I came out of that with a, a clarity like I had never had before and was able to <clears throat> express, you know, everything I needed to express. And um, luckily from that came the relationship I'm in now which, you know, is is as good as it gets in my eyes. Um, and, yeah, I mean, at, on a personal life level, we're pretty much, pretty much there. The last year or so has just been professional progress, and um, a lot of that is just the hard work side of it, stuff I've, I haven't been dealt with, bef- I haven't dealt with, excuse me, I haven't, been dealt before um you know the last two years have been filled with four different types of school including like college and flight school and all these other things and pretty much just having my head down and grinding while balancing you know the house the dog the friends the girlfriend parents the family events traveling all these things but um obviously I, I still learn every day and all this stuff but I feel like uh you know, three, four years ago, I could, there's no shot I could do what I'm doing now. I would just crumble under the, I don't want to call it pressure, but I would crumble under the uh, responsibility. Yeah. Your emotions. Mm -hmm. And even now there's still times where I have, you know, shut down moments where I'm like, okay, there's, you know, code red, everything's just overloading right now, but I know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't wreck me, especially, I mean, it takes, 
it, it doesn't really affect me at all. The, the effect is there, and then I say, okay, I acknowledge this, I realize it, I need to handle it, I know how to handle it, and I do. And I'm able to be transparent with, you know, my my girlfriend who may be asking too much of me at the time, and I'm able to talk to her and say, like, hey, I want to... Um, I need to do this or I need I need a break. I just need to be off my phone for an hour or two, and that's all cool. I'm able to tell my parents and have clear conversations with them when they're asking me to do stuff like, hey, I can't do that for you right now, but I will be able to in, like, three hours. Um, understanding myself, realizing those signs and knowing how to combat them has been the biggest change in my life, I think. Yeah. Because you're a giver. I think when we looked it up on the Instagram, it's like you're a generator. So it's like you want to do those things. Mm-hmm. But you got to be able to have energy for yourself, for those people in the long run, not just the short term. Because we're thinking big picture. Yeah. Going global. Mm-hmm. And that that future, the future looks like, uh, you know, a constant progression. Um, being able to help others. So... One of the biggest things, the the very start of everything, you handed me the um, How to Do the Work by La Pera. And I didn't realize until after reading it, I had read the entire thing, not in the first person applying it to I. I had read the entire thing applying it to ev- other people in my life. So like this section, I read it and I was like, dang, that's perfect for like my mom or how I can help with that. It's perfect for my friend. It's perfect for this person. And I didn't realize until the end that I was basically reading it just to learn how to help rather than to apply it to myself because at the time I I mean I still don't have a lot of problems in my life I don't have like um, many family problems I don't have a bad childhood all these things that can be applied that people aren't aware of Um, I think the future my main goal is I just want to progress with myself and like I said before I'm I'm pretty selfish emotionally in that aspect so number one goal is to progress and provide for my my family my girlfriend stuff like that but to help people um you know that's why we're all doing this that's why we're having conversations with each other and putting it out having conversations with people in different fields to learn how to access different groups of people and that's the biggest thing i'm just excited to try and pass it on i feel like i feel like you guys gave me the secrets and I feel so lucky for that, and I just wanted to give it to everybody else. Oh, for sure, and we still want to deliver it to everybody else. That's a pretty bold statement, though, that you don't have a lot of, like, you didn't have a lot of things going on when you were just crying about 20 minutes ago, <laughs> thinking about calling your dad, telling him you're going to quit racing. To me... But hey, man. Yeah, just, hey, to me, it affects me, but in the grand scheme of things, I've always, you know, could be worse. Yeah. I've had a very, very, very fortunate and blessed life. To be able to tear up about quitting a very expensive sport and have to go get a quote-unquote real job is, you know, it affected me. But there's people um, dealing with a lot worse in my eyes. Mm-hmm. So, For sure. Well, thank you for sharing your story. That was awesome. Yeah. That was good. I like doing it. All right, everybody. Get ready because we have a lot more uh, meet-the-table in-person stories. And the things that we learned along the way. Have an awesome evening. Oh, yeah.